Welcome to another episode of Take the Two. Now, here we are, round one of the NRL. It's finally come around. But I guess first things first, it's good to have you back, Nat. Thank you. I'm very glad to be back. I have my, my first episode after the grand final, maybe. I think we might have done a review. But, yeah, really good to be back. Yes, it's good to have you back. And, obviously, look, we'll just get straight into it, round one. Obviously, it is your Penrith Panthers and the Manly Seagulls. Mm-hmm. And I guess first things first, the big talking point is obviously no Nathan Cleary for at least the first three weeks of the season. Yeah. What are you expecting from your Panther side without Cleary? I guess taking into account as well that the final trial where he also didn't play, obviously because he was injured, the attack didn't look great. I mean, sort of mm. what do you want to see from your side to, I guess, try and combat the fact that Cleary is not playing? I think it's almost a blessing in disguise that we're going to experience this time without him early in the season because we need to learn to be without him. And this year we don't have Matt Burton to fall back on as well. So I think, you know, we need to make sure we don't fall into a manly kind of trap where, you know, they get touted as flat track bullies and one-man team and we need to show that we can do it without Nathan. So I just want to see a much improved performance than what we saw in the trial. Like, oddly enough, the attack was terrible in the trial, but the main issue was defence, and that's not really something Nathan has a huge hand in. So I'm hoping that defence tightens up nicely. I think Sean O'Sullivan, who's going to be debuting and playing in Nathan's place, actually did quite well in the trial. So I'm pleased to see how he's going to go. Apart from that, I'm just hoping to see big performance from our forwards. I think that's the way we're going to win the game, is if we win that forwards battle. And just really interested to see how they pick up after last year, because there are a few losses there that I think are going to hurt us throughout the season. You know, Kurt Capewell and Matt Burton. So I'm really interested to see how it goes, but disappointed it can't be full strength. How about you, Pat? How do you see this one playing out? Panthers with no Cleary and obviously Manly at essentially full strength. Yeah, I mean, what a way to open the season just quietly. I mean, I feel like the, hasn't the past two years the season opener been the, mm. like a power of Bulldogs or I swear the Bulldogs have no, been, it has been the past yeah. two years. So, yeah. like, what a great way to kick off the season, firstly. Yeah, Cleary changes everything for me. I was so bullish on Penrith this week. I've been kind of touting that, you know, I've been a bit worried about Manly and I've been looking at Penrith 13 plus markets because I thought that was such good value. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. seeing Cleary out, like just really has me nervous on it because like Manly is definitely trying to shake that flat track bully tag and they trialed really well. And I think you could see in that trial in both instances, they trialed their full strength team for the both first half. So to me, it's really obvious that they want to have a fast start. They know that they've got a tough start to the season. So if they're ever going to do it against this Penrith team, with no Cleary, I and mean, that you mentioned, you know, no Momorowski, no Burden, no Capewell. Yeah, I'm not feeling Charlie Staines on the wing. I know he was named no, today. So, yeah, um, not, like, yeah. just a, a couple of question marks. I still think you're right that that forward pack is just so good. So it's probably going to have to carry them. But if there's ever the chance of an upset, it's going to be in that round one where it's probably, I think it might clear up with the rain on Thursday, but then back on by Friday. So, like, anything can happen. Yeah, I don't know. I've been very 50-50. I was so bullish on Penrith until today, and I read clear is out. So, Manly might get there in a tight one, but you're the champ uh, for a reason. So, Penrith still <laughs> get, the, uh, get the biscuits there. And I guess you mentioned it there. Well, obviously, I'll ask you as well, Nat, because as a Penrith fan, I mean, we, we waxed lyrical last year when Tom was on you know, about Charlie Staines and sort of, that, yes, he's a good finisher and has some speed, but pretty much when it comes to, I guess, just trying to get out of your own defensive line, he was always getting pushed back. And it's surprising when you have the likes of Jalen May available to to start on the wing. I mean, it's a bit baffling in a way. Yeah, I was really keen to see Taylor have a go because he was really impressive last year when he played and he kind of got like one game or one and a half games and then just kind of went away, which was a little bit odd. And I'm confused because 
Ivan was so hell-bent on playing Tyrone May every week and he can't play the better May. So <laughs> I'm confused by that. But, yeah, I feel bad for Charlie because he wasn't even trialling on the wing at all. He was trialling at fullback because um, Dylan Edwards had COVID. So I don't get it. It doesn't make sense to me. And I'm, I'm concerned for Charlie because he did get his confidence really squashed last year when he got demoted and he had a few games that were just really bad in first grade. So I really hope that doesn't happen again for him because it would be hard to come back from that. Um, but I guess we'll see what happens if there's a method to the madness. Yeah, it's an interesting one, that's for sure. And obviously Charlie Saints has a big task ahead of him. Given the criticism that many Penrith fans have had of him and moving on to the first game on Friday, Pat, obviously we touched a lot on the Sharks and the Raiders during the previews and I guess the abnormalities of their sides. And Ricky Stewart has thrown us a curveball for round one. James Schiller is playing in the centres. Obviously, he look, 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 he looks pretty good in the trial games uh, for the Raiders, but... Sebastian Chris and Xavier Savage are probably scratching their heads at the moment. Yeah, I'm pretty surprised that Chris didn't get the nod there. And also, uh, throughout the whole trials, he was putting Valame in the centres. And obviously, he just saw what everyone else saw and that Valame can't play centre to save his life. So, he's kind of thrown a bit of a yeah, left-field rookie. I mean, good luck to the kid. I mean, that's awesome for, for him to, to get the call up. I think the biggest, biggest hole for the Raiders is, is Fogg. Fog not being there. I mean, that's such a shame for him and for that team. So Schneider gets a call up as well, another rookie. Yeah, and again, like we were actually talking just off air about it. Pretty surprised with the makeup of their back row. Not to say that it's not bad or anything like that. I still think their forward pack is pretty good. I'm just a bit surprised that that's what Ricky decided to go with. Where if I look on the other side of the coin, the Sharkies... Like, I'm pretty bullish on the Sharks this year. So, and that team as well seems quite stable. I know that they're missing McInnes, but they still got a lot of their key players. Um, yeah, I feel like there's probably going to be more cohesion within that squad. And I feel that the Sharks are going to get away with it. One thing that I found interesting was the Sharks actually don't mind playing at, at GIO Stadium. So I, I took a look, and I think they got like a 53 or 56% win record there. So they actually don't mind going down there to play the Raiders. So I just feel that with a bit of the uncertainty around that lineup for the Raiders, a few rookies as well in key positions, yeah, I reckon the Sharks are just going to go over the top of them. This is a hard one. I see this stupid. I remember when I saw it on the um, the. I was looking at tipping and I was like, what on earth? This is just like a 50-50 matchup to start the season, which is always really good. But I think both sides trialled really well, so that doesn't really help me as well. Or not really well. Sharks were a bit, yeah, the first game, they didn't really play anyone decent. I think as well, I'm quite keen on the Sharks this year. I think that they've got a good side. I'm really excited to see how Nico Hines goes. Um, I think he's a really under... He's obviously rated, but I think he's he's underrated in the sense that Melbourne probably shouldn't have let him go. So I'm looking forward to seeing how he goes. And he might provide some much-needed stability to the halves, which kind of hasn't been there for the past couple of years. I think I'm going to go with the Sharks, but I wouldn't be remotely surprised if the Raiders came on top of them because they did show a few signs that we kind of missed last year from them in that really exciting attack that we were so used to in the years preceding that. So, yeah, it could really go either way, but I think I'm going to go with the Sharks. Mate, I'm, uh, I'm hoping for a big game from old Nacho as well. Uh, third round picked him in my draft on Saturday, so I'm hoping he comes <laughs> out and kills it for the Sharkies. I guess we'll find out. But, no, it, it's an interesting one. And, and I think with Hind, it's, it's obviously, you know, worth mentioning as well that fortunately most players that leave the Storm don't do as well at the Storm. And obviously, Pat and I touched on this when we talked about Melbourne in the preview and even the Sharks a few weeks ago, their chances. And I think it's a good test for Hines to, I guess, try and, you know, prove that statement wrong and, and actually have a chance to lead the side and, and see what he can do. And I, I think Melbourne probably didn't want to let him go, but Hines wasn't going to be, you know, playing the 14 forever. And I think when you have the ability that he does, he, he obviously wanted a starting spot and Cronulla was able to provide that for him. Yeah, exactly. And um, it just comes down to you can't keep everybody and they've got to do what's best for them moving forward in their careers. And I'm really excited to see how Nico, go Nico goes in at Cronulla. Um, and they've got a good forward pack on them as well. So I'm actually really keen to how Cronulla go this year. They're definitely, for me, Smokies. And I think I see them in that kind of five to, to eight bracket but towards the higher end of that. So I'm looking forward to seeing how they go. Yeah, certainly it's going to be a good first up test for the Sharks and for the Raiders as well. And I guess the game that Everyone was billing it as the 
Adam Reynolds against his former club. Mm. That's, that was that was the only possible angle that the media was playing. And it all looked good up until a couple of days ago when Adam Reynolds caught COVID, obviously under the NRL protocols, he won't be playing. So I think they need to find a new angle now to <laughs> to work <laughs> on with this game. But obviously it's an interesting one. Obviously, you know, South's playing Lachlan Ilias, who's going to make his debut. There's still no Luttrell who's suspended. A lot's going to come down to Cody Walker. And I guess Brisbane, that last, again, it was it was only a trial, but they just didn't look good against the Cowboys without Adam Reynolds as well, who was being per- uh, rested on purpose for those games. And you've just got to worry about where are the Broncos' points going to come from if they can't control the tempo of the game. Jeez, that, yeah, you know, with Reynolds, he was in, he was out, he was in, he was out. And then I think just today they kind of said, no, nah, he's definitely out. Yeah, the the Broncos are definitely going to miss that. I mean, if Reynolds was still playing, I still don't have the Broncos anywhere near South. I think, like, the Broncos were so ordinary in the trials, especially defensively. And I know that Reynolds can kick him out of trouble if they're getting pinned, but like, they'll just lose everywhere. In the, like, they just really did not look that great. The big thing to me for South is just their backline. And you mentioned... Ricky, you mentioned no Latrell, but also surprising not to see Mansour get the nod at, on the wing. Paulo did not really impress in the centres either, which is even more surprising because they've named Milne at wing when he played centre last year, when Gagai was out, for example. So like, that's just a little bit confusing. I mean, that's the biggest question mark to me. But then I just kind of think about the Broncos and I just don't know how much improvement they've had. And I know it's really hard to tell off trials, but yeah, I'm going back back in South 13+. Plus. I reckon that, yeah, I think it could could slide towards, it, towards the end of that second half and they just run over the top of them. I think this one, I mean, Rabbitohs are pretty awful in the trials as well. And I think they have, you know, obviously Reynolds is gone and they haven't really... <laughs> Planned for life without Reynolds. I mean, they've got Lachlan Elias, and it's interesting to see how he's going to go. But big shoes to fill, especially considering how much Adam Reynolds did for South in the years that he was there. So it's going to be really interesting. It's almost unfortunate. It sounds really bad, but the Broncos aren't really going to be a good measure of where South really are at this year. Because I agree with you, Pat, in that I don't really see this huge improvement from them. They've made a few smart signings. They've got Kurt Capel up there, who I love. But, you know, it's probably not enough to turn them from where they were to where they want to be. So I do think I, I definitely back Rabbitohs to win this game, but I don't really back Rabbitohs for a big season. So it's going to be interesting to see what, what happens. Just on Ilias, what was really surprising, and I don't know if they kind of shielded him a bit during the trials, but he does have a big boot on him. Like he kicked that 20-40 out of nowhere against the Dragons in the Charity Shield. And everyone was kind of like, well, what just happened? And it's, mm-hmm. I guess it's because that doesn't really happen at 2040. I think maybe one was kicked last year at some random time. So I agree with you that, yeah, anyways, Reynolds is such a massive loss for South. But it, it's interesting to see if they can kind of bring Ilias in and if he can just pick up where that kicking is. I mean, that's what he's got to do, just make his passes and kick because there is enough brilliance within the squad in Walker, Murray, Cook, and Latrell, when he comes back, that he just has to kind of do his role. Hmm. It's going to be very interesting to see how he goes. But, um, yeah, big shoes to fill, and I don't know if they've 100% thought that through. Yeah, it's a risky run when you don't want to give your best or one of your best players an extra year, and <laughs> it will remain to be seen just whether that backfires on Souths or not because they are a team that quite a few people have as falling out of the top four and even potentially the top eight if things don't go according to plan. but. Obviously, we'll see if that's worked or not. And I guess a team who I think are certain is for the top four, you know, considering that they were playing 11 or 12 second graders at the back end of the season and still managed to make it, you know, quite deep into the finals. And that's the Sydney Roosters. And here they are back at full strength, well, essentially full strength. Uh, I guess the only surprise is Billy Smith being named in the centres. And obviously, one of your former players, Nat Paul Momorowski, out on the wing and I guess we'll, we'll we'll start with you in this one, Pat, because you are the Knights fan. Realistically, even if you don't win, what performance would you want to see from your side where you can come out after 80 minutes and say, okay, that was a good effort? Yeah, I think if I look back at the past two seasons, like we've just been really inconsistent across 
not only games, but just the entire 80 minutes. So if we are, I've also got a side bet with my mate who's a Chunky supporter. So I'm looking uh, at the Knights to cover the line. So if they can cover <laughs> the line, I'll, I'll end up being pretty happy uh, and a case of being richer. But if, yeah, if they can go the whole 80 minutes with just a real resolve in their defence, then that'll make me really happy. Another thing as well is that I just want to see, again, it's going to be hard because I think the rain's going to start back up again Friday, Saturday. So we might have wet weather footy, but I just want to see some signs of life in their attack because they were obviously terrible last year. Their attack was the second worst in the league behind the Bulldogs. So I just want to see what systems they have in place. I really thought that the Chookies might start slow because they haven't given any of their senior players at all any game time. You've got Teddy coming back from the stem cell surgery on his knees. Kiri's been nursing, you know, coming back from the ACL. Plus he had, a, I think, a stress fracture. So I think Crichton as well is coming back from elbow surgery. So I kind of thought that there was an opportunity there for him. I think a huge loss of the Knights is, um, is DSAF. And I know Ricky, we were just talking about, like, it's really frustrating that he fractures his leg in the trial and, you know, the bloke did a hit, you know, Thompson did a hip drop, gets a fine, no-week suspension, and now Safi's looking at four weeks out. Like, it's really quite annoying because I think the Knights have a really solid pack and can compete with the Roosters. But, that yeah, the Roosters just have so much class and so much depth. Like, the fact that they're bringing in Billy Smith who I really hope Billy Smith can just string the season together. I mean, the poor guy's only played six first-grade games. I just feel like his name has been around for the past three or four years. Um, I think he was originally going to be the replacement for Latrell, and we just never got to see him. So I really hope for him. But obviously the heart wants a Knights victory. I don't know if we're going to get that. (laughs) Um, There's an But I, I do really believe there's an opportunity. And to answer your question, Ricky, if I want to walk away and be happy with it, if we can keep it within you know, 10 points, if we're in the game for the whole game and we're competing and it's just a really good battle, then I'll be happy with that. Yeah, I think that's something that you should be looking forward to and, and hoping because I think Newcastle's had a lot of potential over the past few years. They haven't quite got there. So it's just really a matter of is that going to be this year? You know, their halves are obviously quite inexperienced especially Adam McLoon, whether or not they're going to form that combination is just something that's to be seen. But I do agree with you in terms of their forward pack. It's always been something that's kind of outstanding in that team. And they definitely can match it to the Roosters in terms of that. But I think the Roosters will be too strong. You know, they've, they're have they lucky enough to have some of their players back. You know, Luke Keery's back for the first time in a very long time. Joey Manu's back. We've got Momorovsky returning to them, who's fantastic, and we're going to miss him very much. So I think it's going to be a Roosters win, and it's just really up to Newcastle to make sure they compete and kind of show us what we can look forward to seeing from them throughout the year. Yeah, plenty to play for. And obviously, I guess, you know, to your point, Pat, it will be interesting to see how, I guess, as more experienced Roosters players do perform, given that they were recovering from off-season surgeries or niggles and didn't play any trial games. But the bulk of their guys that have done that, they were, you know, the consummate professionals. I mean, I think it was 2017 or 2016, 2017, when Teddy did something similar that off-season and then he came out and absolutely blew everyone off the park. So I think it's just, they're the sort of guys that you just expect that from, even if they play one trial game or no trial games. And that's just how the Roosters are. Under Trent Robinson, we have, we have another 50-50 clash at uh, 5.30 on Saturday up on the Sunshine Coast. So New Zealand Warriors and the St. George Illawarra Dragons. And look, it must be said, the Dragons, for all the criticisms that they've copped, they look pretty good in the charity shield. And obviously Pat and I were just, well, not not in disbelief, but it was like, you know, 10 years was the last time they had won the charity shield, which is a, a long time to go without winning it. But obviously, you know, they got the job done. They were still inconsistent in patches. But obviously, they did enough to win. And they're coming up against the Warriors side who, again, are still not able to play in New Zealand. This is going to be the third season now that they can't do so. So they're obviously based up in Queensland. And it's a pretty even contest. I think, you know, the both sides certainly have some firepower. Probably Warriors without Reese Walsh for this week is going to be a loss for them. But it'll be interesting to see, I guess, how both teams approach this game, given that essentially 
the halves battle is is between the two elder statesmen now with Sean Johnson and Ben Hunt. Yeah, this is another one that I just it's up there with the Sharks and the and the Raiders. It's just what's going on. But this is probably different in that um, these are two sides that I don't think many people have a whole lot of hope for this year, unfortunately. I think I'm going to go with Dragons purely because they always start the year so well and you think, hang on a sec, this is the year it's going to change and then it always goes downhill. So <laughs> I'm going to go with the Dragons just, you know, based on that. Um, and they were quite impressive in that Charity Shield trial as well. But I'm also really keen to see how Sean Johnson goes for the Warriors to see, you know, he's back home and see how he, he partners up with Cody Nikarima. So I think it'd be really a good game to watch. I'm looking forward to it. But um, I do think the Dragons might get up in this. It's definitely a tough game. I, mean, I don't know what what we're going to see. I reckon either team could dish up anything. Um, and, yeah, I mean, just a couple of surprising selections as well, like, I mean, the Dragons just seem off Tarek Sims, which is a bit strange. So to see him not even in the like the 24-man squad is really weird. And also, I just don't really understand why why Nathan Brown's picking Chanel Harris Devita at fullback. I guess from a playmaking ability, they're trying to replicate Walsh for that week. I mean, it is only a one-week solution. Um, but he did not look very comfortable under the high ball in the trial. So I think Ben Hunt is going to pepper him the entire game and uh, wouldn't be surprised if he spills it a couple of times. If I look at the teams, I think I think the Dragons actually got a pretty decent backline compared to the Warriors where I reckon their forward pack is just much better than the Dragons pack, especially their front row rotation. Like their middle rotation is just so good, the Warriors. So... Yeah, uh, it's a game that anything could happen. I don't really know. Flip a coin. I've written down the Warriors, but again, with no confidence. I feel like any time I tip the Warriors, it's with no confidence. So let's uh, start the year right off right and we'll, we'll begin that trend again. The Warriors are a bit like that last year. You tipped them and they'd lose and you didn't tip them and they'd win. So it was certainly frustrating. But I guess at the point with the forwards, Pat, it is worth I me. Mean, obviously, you know, the... As you said, the Warriors' forward rotation is is tremendous, and obviously this is even without Matt Lodge and Tohu Harris, who are obviously Lodge is suspended for the first week, and Harris is out injured probably until about round nine or ten. So it's a testament to the the pack that they've been able to build and put together despite all of that. And it's interesting decision to make for Adam Fanua Blake, the captain, obviously one of those players that people still rave a little bit about off-field incidents, as as we tend to do in across the game. But it, it's, it'll be a good game, but it's too hard of a game to pick. And, you know, I mean, I, I, mean, I guess you need some 50-50 games just to balance out the, the ones that seem like near certainties. And that's probably the case with the Storm and the Tigers. So, obviously, you know, the West Tigers want to make the finals this year. It's been a long time for them since, oh, since they've done so. And the season doesn't start off in a in an easy fashion for the Tigers. I mean, even the Storm, without Munster and without Harry Grant, they still have so much to contend with. Are the Tigers any chance in this, or or is this one a sure thing for the Storm? Storm thirteen plus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like straight, just straight out. Storm thirteen plus. Like the best thing on Twitter the other day was. I think the mole was posting something that the Tigers are quietly fuming about cheese getting off, like as if that gave them the shot. It's gonna make a difference, like, yeah. Yeah, like that was like that was the key that cheese is out, you know. Now it's all ruined. Yeah, that's it. Like everything's yeah. everything's ruined now. So the Tigers, you know, that was their chance at victory. I mean, if I look at if you look at the Storm, so number one, I don't. So Craig Bellamy's never lost a round one. So. He obviously knows how to get them up for it. And the other thing as well is the Storm last year won 19 games in a row, and a lot of them were without Harry Grant. So if you take that out of the equation, and Cheese was playing out of his skin anyway, so if you kind of take that into account, and obviously Wishart, who's going to be on the bench, like he looks like an absolute gun. I don't know how the Dragons let him out of out of their system. <laughs> he looks like an absolute gun. So he's going to play that Harry Grant role coming on maybe after 20, 30 minutes, cheese dropping back. So that remains the same. Obviously, no Munster is a loss, but Hughes is still really good. There's just quality all across that team. So 
I just don't see how the Tigers can win. Obviously, this is footy and anything can happen. But another thing as well is that if you think about the Storm and who they got out, think about who the Tigers got out. The Tigers got their best player out in Dewey, so he's out. You've also got, I think, Tarmouth suspended. So they're not at full strength either. So you're expecting a full, a not-at-full-strength team of the Tigers to try and get over the top of the Storm. Yeah, I mean, I don't see it happening. I personally think it's going to get a little bit ugly. And I also got Pappenhausen in my fantasy team, so I'm hoping he gets a hat-trick. I think he might. <laughs> I think it's just, I mean, Storm are going to be absolutely fuming as well coming off um, the prelim final last year. You know, I think Bellamy said the other day, he actually doesn't think he'll ever get over that game in that he saw last year as probably the most winnable season that Melbourne have ever had and they, they lost. So I think that they're going to be coming out to make a serious statement to kind of say, we're still around, guys. We're not backing down. And, yeah, I think it's going to be quite sad for the old Tigers. Saying that, I'm really keen to see how Hastings goes. He did really well in that trial that he played. Unfortunately, I feel like it took Brooks being off for him to really shine. Um, and I think they need to sort that out because Hastings needs to be the chief playmaker in that team. And Luke Brooks and the Tigers are just not the right match for either of them to prosper. And I think it needs to be, I still can't believe it's taken 10 years for them to not even figure that out yet. But Luke Brooks is not a terrible player, and I think he has the opportunity to be a decent player. It's just not at the Tigers. So the I, that, I also really hope it's not at the Knights with all that mail. Like, I personally don't want to see that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 100%. It's, it's hard. I don't know where he's going to land. There was some talk of the Raiders a few years ago, but I don't think that's going to happen. And it's just they both need a change, and they're both not really keen to do that. So I think unless that changes, it's going to be another kind of deja vu season for the Tigers, no matter how well Jackson Hastings does. So, yeah, I think it's a big old assignment for the Tigers this week and probably not the best one to start their season, but at least they get it over and done with. Yeah, that's it. Better get the storm out of the way. Early. I mean, you can't. You, not every team can be like the Eels that beats the Storm twice in a season, but un- unfortunately, it doesn't look like that'll be happening for the Tigers anytime soon. And obviously, speaking of the Eels, they play on Sunday afternoon out at Combank. I'll be honest, the the Titans are aside. I mean, again, Pat and I touched on this that they're going to be, you know, certainly on the cusp of the eight, if not one of those teams to snag seventh and eighth. And I guess, you know. Any time you have to come up against David Fafita, that's scary because we all saw what we all saw what he did last year, and that was apparently when he was not at a hundred percent, you know, fitness levels. I mean, so it's even scarier to think just how much better he can actually get. It, despite Fafita playing, that I do think the Eels should still win. Obviously, first game at home, much like Melbourne was smarting from the prelim loss. Obviously, the Eels will be will be smarting from the semi final loss against the Panthers and. Obviously, all of this talk of, you know, oh, this is the Eels year and everyone is, you know, one person has said it now. It's like every every man and his dog is jumping I on that banner. I know. I, know. I started it. <laughs> I know. I, yeah. no, I, I, I did say that in that, but all the media types now are like, oh, yeah, they can <laughs> do it and blah, blah, blah. Was, oh, tell us that in like round 23, not in round one. <laughs> but, um, yeah, look, it, I, it's definitely a winnable game. I'd be surprised if the Eels don't win it. I think the biggest takeaway is obviously the is Mitch Moses and even you know the back end of or most of 2021 for that matter and even in that trial game against Penrith the, the way he's been able to just dictate terms in a game you know put the opposition on the back foot really have them I guess coming out of their own end you know five ten meters out instead of it being you know 30 to 35 meters out makes all that difference and I think if he can continue to do that. Just let's opens the game up for Dylan Brown to focus on running instead of having to try and play make and obviously then you can just build off that and obviously hope that the forwards do their job as well. Thanks, Pat. We all we all know how I feel about the Eels this year. And the basis behind that is that they were a lot of people make um, a big fuss about the times in which Parramatta lost against I think South and Manly last year. But they really showed up to Penrith and Melbourne every time they played. And it's something that no other side of the comp did. So they were honestly, to me, they were one Paulo ball drop away from potentially winning the premiership last year. As crazy as that sounds. So I think that they're in for a really big year. And it kind of needs to happen this year because of the players they've got departing at the end of the year. To me, it's kind of like the window is, it's not going to close next year, but 
it's going to narrow a little bit. So yeah, I think that they're going to have a big year and I think they're going to look to start it really confidently against the Titans. I think they'll win quite comfortably. I think they'll win 13 plus to be honest. And that's not a, you know, to say the Titans won't be up there this year. I think they're a chance for the eight, but yeah, I just think Parramatta will be too strong. Moses had really good trial form. Dylan Brown as well looked pretty impressive. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how they go. And if Reed Marnie stays fit, that's a big key to their puzzle. And I think they will beat the Titans comfortably on the weekend. Yeah, look at you two, Nat. How's that feeling as a Penrith supporter just talking about Parramatta so much? I feel like now we've won our premiership. I'm like, someone else can have one. <laughs> it hurts, but, you know, I'm feeling good. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Yeah, even listening to you, Ricky, I mean, the, excite- the excitement's there. You can see it in your voice. I also think the Eels are going to be too strong. I mean, even just returning to Bank West, like, that's a massive plus for, for Parramatta. We all know that they like to get on a bit of a run at Para. Um, again, the only the only thing that I've noticed at Bank West is that it's like an ice skating ring in the, in the wet. Mm. So anything can kind of happen, but that might actually suit Parramatta better because the I just feel like Parramatta's forwards, even though the Titans got a really good pack, I just feel like the para pack is better suited to, you know, that more attrition in the middle kind of grind. So if it is going to be wet and play down the middle like that, I just feel that it suits Parramatta better. And as well, you know, looking at at Moses, like his games evolved a lot into a much more of that classical seven, controlling the game, really good kicks. And again, like I just feel that the conditions will probably suit their game. Yeah, and, and agree with you, Nat. It's not as if the Titans are going to be bad. I just feel that yeah, Para is going to be too strong. I'm still expecting a cracker game, and yeah, like Fafita will probably just do something outrageous as he always <laughs> does. Uh, but that may be the Titans' only real uh, glimmer throughout the game. Hey, as long as the outrageous thing he does is not a match winner, that's okay. You know? <laughs> no, I, I agree with that point, Pat. Obviously, if it is going to be raining, I mean, we saw the the Eel Storm game in round two last year. I think it was like that was it was pouring the entire game, and you know, obviously the it, the Mitch Moses' bomb for Mike Siva won them the game and whatnot. But it it's certainly rainy conditions. I, I actually think the Eels are one of those teams that play or not 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 that they play better when it's raining but they adapt to the conditions a lot better than most other sides and as I said because the forwards are able to just you know do their job and get the roll on and whatnot but yeah certainly I am expecting an Eels win I've, I've, I I want to say 13 plus like you did that but it's, it's you know <laughs> you never know these days I mean I'll, I'll take a one point win at this point in the season to be honest you know we'll, we'll see what happens on Sunday and obviously uh, to close up the round, we have the Cowboys and the Bulldogs. And I just want to focus on the Bulldogs for a minute here because I, I thought they made a very interesting point on uh, NRL 360 last night re- regarding the halves. Obviously, you know, Matt Burton, that's a player that you know that you obviously you know well. You would have seen play a lot of last year for the mm. Panthers. He goes over to the Dogs, which, you know, which for them is a good signing in of itself. When you look at the side, that, well, when you look at the Dogs in general, the area that they that they really should be trying to invest in is just having a decent halfback alongside them. And I mean, and when your two options are Jake Avarillo and Brandon Wakem, that's not really a good thing. Mm-hmm. But to the point that they made an NRL 360 is Kyle Flanagan was named in both trials for the Dogs, and I think over the course of those two trials, he got about 10 to 15 minutes, none of which at which no point was Matt Burton also on the field at the same time. And I think if the closest the dogs have to a halfback that can control a game, it is Kyle Flanagan. So it's just strange that you wouldn't even, even for just 10, 15 minutes, just try and see if they complement each other and if they're able to, you know, let Matt Burton work on that running side and, you know, use his left, his, his big left boot when you're struggling in your own end. And then that means that Flanagan can just probably, you know, call the shots, maybe organize the decoys, try and control one side of the field. And, they didn't do that. And look, taking nothing away from Jake Avarilla, he's a decent player, but he's not really a halfback that other teams are going to look at and go, oh, we need to worry about this guy. Yeah, exactly. And I feel a bit sorry for Carl Flanagan because I just feel like he's not really getting a shot. I feel like he had an unfortunate start to his career and he's just kind of like not really had much chance since that time. And I think he would be a good option to pair with Matt Burton. And I think 
the Bulldogs, I don't want them to fall into the trap where they get someone like Matt Burton and just expect him to do it all himself because we did that a little bit last year in origin time. And, I mean, he'd give his best shot and he'd almost get there, but it's a lot of pressure on someone who's coming into a team that he wants to make his own. So a little bit of an odd decision there, but, you know, we'll see what happens. The other odd decision from the Bulldogs is playing Offenbauer. He's someone that... I constantly see the Bulldogs fans completely ripping their hair out about him throughout, you know, on Twitter and things like that during these games. So I'm really not sure as to why he's there. I'm otherwise really excited to see Brent Maiden get a go because I think he is a first grader and I was disappointed to see him leave Penrith. So I'm excited to see that. As for the Cowboys, I don't see how they're going to, just like the Broncos, how are they going to improve? I mean, they've got Chad Townsend, but... I don't really rate him that much. So, Does you know, anyone? <laughs> I know. <laughs> as bad as that sounds. I mean, they've got Hammer at the back, who's a really good player, but again, he can't do it on his own. The rest of it, it's just, it doesn't seem to be co- a cohesive team. So this game is probably going to be a bit of a bludger. <laughs> I think the Bulldogs will win. If the Bulldogs don't win, that's a bit of a problem, I think. But I don't know if they'll run away with it. It might be a close kind of a bit of a, a, a wrestle. But, yeah, two teams that really need to sort their direction out quickly. And it's going to be interesting to see how they go, but I think the Bulldogs will get up. Yeah, they really saved the best until last for this round. I mean, we're kicking off with Manly Penrith, and then the final game <laughs> is Cowboys-Bulldogs. I don't know really where to start with the game. Like, it probably will be a bludger of a game. Like, defence is probably not going to be front and centre. Um within the game I'm also like I'm probably more I feel like the dogs attack still needs a lot of work especially watching them throughout the trials and I mean the Cowboys kind of clicked against the Broncos so they they did look a little bit slicker so I've been hating on the cows I feel all off season and I've got no but I've just got no faith in the dogs the trial form I know that you can't take anything on trials but it's given me no faith in them so I'll probably take the cows at home. But what what was really funny out of 360 last night is you've got two mass, massive things came out of it. Number one, Braithen Nassus probably said the most balanced thing he's ever made in commentary or anything around his comment with Flanagan because he is right. Like, if they were going to give him a fair opportunity, they just didn't do that. So they're really relying on Avarillo Burden to click where they're very similar players. So... Not to say it won't work, but he did make a good point there. And the other one is Buzz saying that the dogs don't use drones, and that's given birth. That's so funny. And that's given birth <laughs> to Phil Gould absolutely ripping him on Twitter, just posting drone content for the whole day. So if anything good came can come out of that uh, dogs content from last night, it's Braith saying something that isn't going to get tagged on shit Braith says, and is Phil Gould absolutely trolling Buzz Rothfield for just great. just amazing. making up whatever he was saying. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. Who would have thought the two blokes could have an ongoing rivalry for 50 years <laughs> dead set? Oh, my God. Or, for, or 40 oh, or 50 yeah. years. But, yeah, look, it, it's I want to try and say good things about this game, but it's just it, it's just really hard just based on, you know, as you guys have been saying, just how the sides have been tracking and, sort of some recruitment decisions that they've made or it's it's either going to be a probably 4-2 or it's going to be 42-40. I think that's that, that that's something that we can come to expect from it. Uh, obviously, as good as it is to talk about the NRL, there's also the NRLW. Second game for each of the girls' teams was played over the weekend. It was the, the Broncos beating the Knights, which I guess we were saying last week, Pat, that probably gave the Knights a chance, and you stuck in it to begin with, but I think the Broncos proved their class in the end to run away with it. Had the Roosters and the Titans, who, again, like we said last week, the Roosters went points heavy in the backs, and they struggled when it came to scoring points and making the metres, and the Titans side is well-balanced and dominated them. But obviously the Dragons and the Eels, not the result that I would have liked to have seen from the Eels, but mind you, that was the conditions in that game were horrendous. I mean, I think for the second week running, the Eels' uh, uh, completion rate was something like 53%. But I, I do feel like that game, 
and look, I'm never one to ref's fault. I don't like to I don't like to make mention of it when so many others do, but I do feel like that game was a bit contentious, particularly when Cody House took out one of our plays with an elbow. It was only a penalty, but there was no no sin binning. Didn't even get anything in the match rev- from from the match review panel in terms of a, a suspension. And you know that that they're the sort of things that can change a game. Obviously, you know instead of instead of playing against 13, you're up against 12, can make a difference. And I think at that point it was only four nil as well, or six nil, or whatever it was. It was a little bit frustrating in a way, but look, you win some, you lose some. Obviously, plenty of work to do for all for most sides, but all in all. A good week of NRLW. It was a. Uh, it was really good. I think watching. Um, if I was to try and summarize something as well, obviously the conditions weren't weren't great. But yeah, like looking at that nice game, I probably paid the most attention to that game. And in that opening five or ten minutes, the Knights had the chance. They had an opportunity to kind of really go bang bang, and they just yeah. I mean, there was that. I think it was an obstruction call that I wasn't. I didn't actually understand at all. And then from there, it just capitulated. So from the resulting overturn, the Broncos went down the field, like they got three back-to-back penalties and then they just didn't look back. So like the one thing that really stood out to me was, yeah, the Broncos, I've just seen Cruz, like they'll just tear you apart if you give them the opportunity. And I think one thing that I'm really starting to recognise within the girls' games as well is that like they have the ability to just... Like, I just feel like there are so many game breakers and that at any given moment, there could be this awesome tackle break, which leads to a line break into quick hands and then a try. And that can kind of happen across the park. But the one thing that's probably let people down, and I know that the the conditions haven't been great, but it's just the overall completion rate. So even the Knights in that game, like, how are they going to beat a Broncos team that have, you know, three-time back-to-back-to-back premiers with a 52% completion rate? Like... You just it just won't happen. So I just feel like a lot, and I feel that that trend kind of happened across the other games where the team that was able to hold the ball, even if it was at 65, 70% completion, were the with the team that got that got the win. Yeah, I'm just kind of looking that as as the season progresses for them. Yeah, like that you know just a bit more, just a bit more within their completions and focusing in on that, and then we'll just see I think much closer contests. Yeah, I was unfortunately really sick this weekend, so I was in and out of sleep the whole time whilst attempting to watch the football, but I didn't really catch much of it. So I'm hoping to, um, you know, catch up on it again this week. But, yeah, what you both said is really correct, and it just seems like we're seeing this Broncos domination that we kind of expected. So probably expecting that to continue this week, but I'm quite looking forward to that Dragons-Broncos matchup for sure. Boo, we can't have the Broncos win it again, guys. What is this? What is this? I know we tried, but it just looks like we're back, you know. <laughs> It's funny. I I see everyone talking about oh this Broncos Dragons game should be so good la da da. But even I mean again I know the conditions were terrible on on the Sunday in Newcastle because obviously oh sorry in Wollongong for, for for that triple header. But the Dragons even then they still I, I don't think they were fantastic in that game. I mean their one try came off an attempted intercept from from Boverti Welsh and again the conditions she dropped it and the halfback is there to score. I mean and apart from that. The Eels' defence kept them out on every every single attacking raid. They scored two penalties after that to make it 10-0. I don't think attack-wise the Dragons are at the Broncos' level. I think Pat would know this, as we've been saying it, since NRLW started at, well, this, this season. I still think the Titans and the Eels are the two sides that really have the attacking firepower when when they hold onto the ball and are at their best to, to threaten the Broncos. So it's going to be an interesting trio of games over at Combank this weekend. So, look, we'll see what happens. Hopefully it's not, you know, pouring down rain again so we can actually get both teams holding the ball at your 70 75% mark mm, instead of 50-odd. Sure. But I, yeah, we'll find out on the Sunday. And obviously, you know, plenty of news is always a buzz when it comes to rugby league. But just, you know, changing sports for a second because obviously this is a – a player that has, you know, I don't think if you ask any Australian who Shane Warne was, they'd be able to tell you and, you know, they'd, they'd probably tell you their favourite moment of his as well and and you name it. And, yeah, unfortunately, age 52, passed away from a heart attack. Quite, you know, quite sudden. It was, what, one o'clock in the morning on the Sunday, I think it was now. 
And yeah, you just wouldn't have expected that, I guess, the Shane Warne, who, you know, is a, a master and a larrikin of Australian cricket, obviously Australia's greatest wicket taker with 700 plus uh, wickets. And he passed away and it just shocked everyone. I mean, he was just an icon. You know, when I think about it, and I definitely can't give justice to kind of summarise him as a as a cricketer. Like, I feel that I've probably gotten into cricket as I've gotten older. No doubt he was an icon of the game. But I just feel like he was also a true national celebrity. Like, if you ask any any Aussie who Shane Warne is, like, they'll know, even if they don't watch or follow cricket, like, you just know who he is. He's just one of the those really few characters that, as a nation was just really recognisable. And he's just like, the. I think you mentioned before, you know, that larrikin, like he really just embodies the everyday Aussie. Like it was just so, like to, just to watch him be an absolute superstar and obviously what he did playing was crazy. Like he was an actual magician uh, with those with those spinners. But, you know, the fact that him as a character, like we probably won't see that ever again. Like he mm. came through a time where, like, we as a country just embrace that. And he also came through a time of Australian sport without social media or any of that stuff. So I don't even know if someone like him could ever exist again in today's world and society. So for him and who he was, he was just such a big part of, I don't know, just, a, a, I guess, Australian sport and, yeah, just a national identity. Yeah, exactly right. And I think that's what was the best thing about him was that he was himself. And you can't replicate that when someone is entirely themselves. He was different. He stood by the good times and the bad times in his life. He was just, you know, unapologetic. And that was amazing about him. And it's something you don't see these days, given the rise of social media, given the fact that celebrities these days have to be so kind of curated. It's always very much like, you know, they've got to fit into a certain mould or be careful what they say. He's not cut from that cloth. And it's just that's probably the re- one of the reasons why it was such a shock because you don't think someone like that is going to pass away. You think they're going to live forever. Like he's kind of reminds me of Steve Owen in that respect mm. where they're kind of like big kids and they're going to be around forever. So it was really jarring and really sad and I, I just feel horrible for his family because he's so young and it's just going to be really missed in so many ways. Yeah, he certainly will be. I mean, I think if social media was around when he was, you know, in, in that early to mid-90s or – early 90s so up until the early 2000s as it is now with twitter and facebook i <laughs> the poor bloke would, would have been crucified you know i mean mm-hmm. after the 99 world cup final there he is with the stump in hand and you know dancing around like a like the larrikin that he was or the, the amount of times that you'd seen with a drink in hand you know in between games i mean it wasn't even when <laughs> when a tournament had finished and you know, he was on record that said, oh, you know, he would smoke goodness knows how many cigarettes a day and, you know, plus all of his drug scandals and, and whatnot. And he, yeah, sadly, he would have been crucified in, in today's world of social media. And we may not have got gotten the same Shane Warne that we obviously had. So, as you said, Nat, obviously, you know, it's tough for his family and I guess tough for even for all his teammates that were able to grow up with him and play alongside him and, you can always tell when there's a guy that, I mean, does, doesn't matter if it's life or sport, that transcends the impact that they leave is great because you even have cricketers from around the world that, you know, like you wouldn't think that a Pommy and an Australian cricketer, you know, are going to be best buds, but you hear the stories from, you know, Michael Vaughan and Kevin Peterson and all these guys that literally, you know, made, you know, lifelong friends and memories with him. And that's a testament to Vaughan and the impact he was able to have on all of these players' lives as well. Totally agree. Well, the final thing we're going to touch on uh, for this episode is the NRL ad for 2022. Now, I think if anyone has been on social media since it came out, the reception has been not great. I mean, for a, you, you want an ad to inspire, to pump you up, to have you primed for the NRL uh, obviously, the, the men's NRL season to start off because that's when they do it for. But this ad with the, un, the unreal for whatever slogan it was, it fell flat. I mean, if you you look at past things where, you know, you had either that, that's my team by the Hoodoo Gurus or even the early 90s ads with uh, Tina, uh, yeah, Tina Turner, simply the best. And 
the footage and the vision and the players and you get pumped up and you're like, yeah, ready to go. And you watch this one and it's like, meh, am I excited? Yeah, yeah. it just kind of feels tough up. Yeah, it's not that great. I mean, I think it just falls flat from from last year. I think, like, the one thing to, to call out, it's got nothing on, on the Fox League one, the one with uh with Matt Nabel. Like, I just watched that today. I think it only got released this afternoon. Like, yeah, and just yeah, when I hear his like when you hear his voice, it's, it's just it's synonymous. Like, it's Matt Nabel's voice. It's yeah, like, it's, you hear his voice. It's like just gets you so yeah, gets you so excited. Yeah. It's exciting. And just even on what you said with like the music, you know, the the Fox League one had a Foo Fighters track going. It was pumping you up. Yeah. Like yeah, I definitely felt it much more excited watching that one. Yeah, the, I don't know. I feel like with the NRL. It's been a weird. I think it's just been a tough twelve months as well because I think when it comes to their like the ads and their marketing and all of their digital, like they they had to cut a lot of that out with with the new broadcast deals. Like if you guys have noticed, like you know a lot of the NRL original content isn't happening now. So I kind of wonder if that maybe played a part in the ad just falling flat, or maybe they just you know they didn't want to piggyback on simply the best like they did last year again. So they thought, oh, we'll do something, you know, a bit more tamer than the year before where there was that massive blow-up about, you know, it was really controversial the year before. So Latron Mitchell was draped in an Indigenous flag. I mean, how is that, like, you know, mm. going to offend anyone? I mean, that's probably outside of Pacific Islanders players, Indigenous players probably make up the second most uh, number of players in the league. So it it's, was... I think when you have something as iconic as simply the best, piggy, piggybacking on that every year, it works. You know, like you, you you just watch the highlights and that song is there and it builds up and it gets to the chorus. Like the, because I was watching it the other day, the one of the old ads from the from the early nineties that they did for the Winfield Cup for it. The minute it gets to the chorus, you know, there you are. You're seeing, you know, Paul Harrigan going head head first into the line and just, you know, I mean, obviously it's a very different game, but that's not the point. But it's just you watch that and it's, it, you, you you can feel within you like the, the excitement and and the that idea of you know we've been waiting like you know five months for this to come back bring it on and then yeah just that ad was just like I watched it I was like is that am I supposed to be inspired by that to 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 go and watch a game of rugby league yeah it kind of just felt like it was like an ad for like a game on the weekend didn't really yeah. feel like it was an ad for like a full season yeah the tagline is also confusing. He said that, Ricky. Like, I don't really like. It was so un- real, it's unreal. I'm just That's like, All yeah, right, whatever. Fair enough. It's like, it's like, it's like okay. Contradictory, but okay. Anyway, it's look. Hopefully, they learn from this and the reception. And hey, worst comes to worst, just piggyback off simply the best, or that's my team, yeah. and, and people will love you. So exactly right. It's, uh, that's it. Can't go wrong with those. And. Mm-hmm. Uh, that wraps it up for the podcast. Obviously, eight exciting games to look forward to in the NRL and the three NRLW games also to be played this week. So may your teams win, get off to a good start, and we'll be back here next week to dissect all of the action once more. Cheers, guys.